3: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Walkie
4: Talkies is a production of iHeartRadio and the College Athletes Network.
2: Hey mo, it ain't game day! It's it ain't game day! Game day! Hell yeah. Oh, yeah! Hell yeah!
5: The spirit of the truth. The spirit of the truth. And this is what Angelo says. What
4: does that mean? What is the spirit of, what do you mean by that?
5: Okay. Okay. I like that question because the journey is, is right on. Uh, But the embellishment in what we call, when you embellish a moment or put composites in a moment, that means you're putting different characters that we can't explain. We have to put them all in one character. Then we have to embellish that moment to make the movie work. He says, That's the spirit of the truth, Rudy. It did happen, but it's not going to happen the way it happened. It's going to happen differently through my interpretation. That's the spirit of the truth. I said, gotcha. I'm on board with that.
4: Me too. I'm on board now that I've heard it. So. Yo, Walkie Talkies gang, welcome back into Walkie Talkies podcast here on the College Athletes Network, featured on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Noah Bono, and this is part two of WTZE 16 in our two-part series with the legend, Rudy Rudiger, and it's technically episode 19 of the podcast, which is awesome. Uh, Part two with Rudy is every bit of the follow-up I could have asked for from part one. And here in part two, the episode is directly about the making of the movie, Rudy, where the inspiration came from to sell his story, how he got the writer of Hoosiers and Notre Dame on board with it, how much he sold the script for, his involvement with the making of the film. then we get into all the kind of negative comments that have been made about the film, like the ones Joe Montana said, and Rudy kind of debunks those statements and um, lays out some really cool perspective on that. And we talk about the type of people... Who have rudy stories themselves and all, just so much more insight and wisdom from rudy that comes about organically within our convo i'm telling you, you guys gotta let this episode play while you're doing whatever you do man it can't hurt and there's just so much to take away from it now you can refer to the show description below that has more information on what's inside both parts one and two and lastly before we get into it please make sure you subscribe to walkie talkies podcast you leave us a review on whichever app you listen to your podcast on and follow us on social media at WTZ podcast, Those are all greatly, greatly appreciated. Now let's not waste any more time and get right into part two of my conversation with Rudy Rudiger. Rudy, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. I thought you forgot about me for a second. I did. <laughs> I knew you did. <laughs> <laughs> but right. we're here. We're here. Let's do this. Okay. Yeah. So I want to pick up off uh, where we left off with the movie stuff uh, and kind of bleeding into that. So you graduated from Notre Dame. You're like, what, 27 years old by the time you graduate. And a few years later, you know, after selling some real estate and whatever else you were doing, you decide to sell your story as a feature film. So what prompted you to do that? And where did the idea come from to sell your story?
5: Well, that, that's a great question. And, in, in you know, the You never know where the uh, inspiration comes from, but there's a movie called Rocky. And because of Rocky, the thought was given to me in the Notre Dame locker room after the game, uh, a sports writer came up to me. And he basically said he's been covering Notre Dame football for 30 years. He's never felt or seen this reaction from the the fans. He said, people don't even know you, but still chanted your name. And then they, you were carried off the field. You had no name on your jersey. Who are you? I said, well, I'm no one. I'm just a walk-on. I said, uh, my, probably my friends start chanting Rudy because I was a boxer at Notre Dame. and won the bingo box, and they chanted Rudy um, from the fans in the audience when I was a boxer because I was smaller, and I beat the big guy, and they like that like the little guy beating the big guy so it carried on they did an interview the student newspaper did an interview with me asked my dream and I told him my dream is to play one time for my father to walk on that field and just step on that field play one moment for my father to show him that dreams are possible and uh, well they caught the drift and they chanted Rudy as that game was ending and and uh, they dressed me not because I wanted to get dressed or I was not on the dress list till that Friday until one of the kids gave up his uniform so I could dress. The captains went in to uh, our defensive coach and said we'd like Rudy to dress because it was a 60-man roster versus 110 the year before because uh, Era Parsegian, uh would dress all seniors for their final home game, but Coach Devine, a new coach, couldn't do that because of this rule the NCAA had. They come up one year, my year, they come up with it, uh, that only 60 kids could dress. Uh, So that that was a challenge and an obstacle, but because of one student athlete gave up his uniform so I could dress. So that was a miracle in itself. Not that I went and lobbied it, uh, I didn't even know they were going to do it until I went back out to practice that, that Thursday um, and said, uh, you better come to practice on Friday and just kind of because they were going to surprise me, and I did because it was a walkthrough. When you do a walkthrough, it's just preparation for the game, and that's when Coach Divine announced after uh, practices. And, uh, call, we, we go through what they call. Uh, a checklist and a, uh, anything changes, it's, uh, uh, he gives the changes at that moment. So there is a change in the address list. Rudy Rüdiger will be dressing for the game. And some of the guys congratulated me. Other guys didn't say anything. So it was one of those moments to where I, I, I was excited, but some were, some weren't. It didn't matter to them, I guess, but it mattered to me and some other guys. Yeah. So that's, that was the magic, what that sports writer saw. He saw the magic in that stadium, how people reacted to the underdog type of kid. And he uh, said, this only happens in Hollywood. That was the seed that was planted in my head until I saw the movie Rocky. And that's how it all started.
4: So then where did the conversations kind of go to after that? Did So he put it in your head, now did someone make you an offer, or did you have to make a well, pitch first to someone in Hollywood?
5: Well, what do you do when no one wants to see your movie or no one talks about it? You go out to hollywood well who well forget.
4: wait who were the who were the first couple people you're saying like no one wanted to see your movie like who were those who were those people?
5: All just kids, friends of mine okay family okay so know.
4: so then you go out to Hollywood and what happens
5: i I just ventured out there. I'm going to go test it, right. And I went out there, and I went to Carnegie Deli. And that's where some producers hang out, I found out. I had a friend that lived out in California. I said, let's do a little scouting. Let's see if where the producers hang out. He said, they hang out at Carnegie Deli, some of them. So I go up to the maitre d'oeil. I say any, any producers in here, any guys? Is there anybody here that make movies? He says, yeah, there's a guy sitting back there, uh, Jake Steinfeld, Bonnie by Jake. I said, oh, yeah, I know who he is. I watch his program. So I wander back, and he's having a little meeting. And I don't know how to, how do you break up his meeting? I just sit there and listen to him. All of a sudden, it was a little break. I said, hey, Mr. Seinfeld, Rudy Rudiger. I'm from uh, I'm from uh, Indiana, and I went to Notre Dame, and I played one time. And they carried me off the field, I have a story behind that. He said, oh, that's wonderful, real nice. He said, well, what's the story? And I told him, he said, wow. Sounds like me, how I got out here. I came out here not knowing anyone. I started training people. One thing leads to another. Sounds like uh, that's what happened to you, huh? I said, kind of, but you're a success. There's a lot of, you know, and he goes, yeah, there was a lot of disappointment, a lot of hard work. I said, you think I have a story? He said, oh, yeah, you have a good little story. He says, in fact, maybe you should go see my lawyer. Maybe we could do something. Well, they offered me 500 bucks and I politely declined. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I wanted to control it. But make a long story short, that was a positive. Right. But then the nonsense started happening. When I call nonsense, you meet a lot of people now thinking you had something. Now, there's a lot of people called wannabes, and you meet those guys. Now, you're not going to spend all the time out there, you only have so much time until so you come back to South Bend, I started looking up who at Notre Dame um, were in the movies or did movies. Um, there was a couple guys. I'm not going to mention their names, but they weren't interested at all. I mean, I mean, I tracked them down. They're not, they're not interested. I said, oh, OK. And, 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 and now think about this. And maybe if they were interested, it would never have been the movie it would have been because it would have been about more about Notre Dame than about, you know, life. And uh, so uh, I always say the rejection was doing me a favor. And at that time, I didn't know it was doing me a favor, but I was selling insurance at the time. And uh, <clears throat> I ended up in Washington, D.C. for this. I was working for a company that I traveled for, and I went to car dealerships to set up, uh, help them set up some, Finance and insurance, and that's what we were in. And then I started talking to other people and just friends. And they got, in fact, they liked the idea of these guys. So we, we would meet every Thursday um, in a meeting and just talk about how a movie could be made. Well, <clears throat> I ended up uh, going back to South Bend, end. My job transferred me back to South Bend where Notre Dame is. And I was a manager of the region and I had like maybe 26 car dealerships. So I have time on my hand, which meant I visited my, when I needed it, but I would, man, I would get my friends over and we would talk about making a movie. Then I would go out to uh, California, try to find more friends. Well, you attract some goofballs as you go. Right. And I did. And, but at least those guys kept me going. Believe it or not, so there was one time I don't know how this happened, but uh, I'm going uh, It's too long of a story to tell, so I'm going just cut it down. I wrote a script. My friend, my friend and I, it was kind of a, just an idea. He he believed in the story, so let's write a script. So we did. It wasn't a, We didn't know how to write a movie script. It's like a story, and um, I had it sitting on top of my my desk where I was living in South men in my condo. And there was a kid at Notre Dame that got once came back to Notre Dame. He was a star in 1966. Uh, and they beat Michigan state. And he was kind of like the hero of the game. Now he's back at Notre Dame as a graduate assistant. I said, wow, I want to go meet him. I love to meet that guy. And I went over to practice where he was school just started and. uh, And I meet him after practice. This is really cutting through a lot of the years, but it's about five years into the deal.
4: Um, Do you know what year we're in?
5: 1986.
4: 1986. Okay. Keep going.
5: 1982, I wrote a letter to Stallone uh, asking him if he would be interested. Right. And he turned you down. Yeah, in a nice way.
4: Right. So then you go to 1986. You're talking to this GA.
5: 1986, I'm back at Notre Dame. And I see play with Bob Gladjaw. And I went to introduce myself to Mr. Gladjaw. And I asked him, I so said, where, where are you living at? He said, I don't have a place yet. I said, oh, well, you know what? I travel most of the time. I would love for a guy to watch over my condo. Maybe you could stay there. He says, yeah, let's check it out. He he liked it. So... He stayed at my apartment, and I was never home. I would travel 95% of the time for the business, but at least I had a place. But make a long story short, his friend comes to town. He was a fullback at Notre Dame while he was playing. He had another friend that lived in Scranton. That's where he's from. He was a writer. His name was Jason Miller. He was a Pulitzer Prize writer. He was in the movie The Exorcist, and uh, he was a priest. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, when I came back from my trip, Bob Groucho I said, hey, my, my friend likes your story. I said, well, he, what story? He said, he read your, read your little story. He liked it. He thinks that uh, his buddy can write the movie on it. I said, really? I said, who's his buddy? I said, Jason Miller. I said, he's coming to a football game here, and uh, I want you to meet him. I said, oh, maybe we can go meet him where he lives. Where does he live at? Pennsylvania Scranton I said I'm going there to meet him because I'm not going to wait for him if he's interested right and uh so I fly out to Scranton I meet Jason we hit it off we went to where he usually hangs out a bar and he got his buddies there and he says tell your story let's hear it And I tell him everybody loved the story because they were big Notre Dame fans they loved it and one guy said Jason why don't you write it he said I would, but Jason had other issues. Uh, I'm not going to go into. But he never wrote it. But he had a ghostwriter that wrote all his scripts. He just—he was just finishing the Isaiah Thomas story, and the ghostwriter said, "Jason's not going to write your story. Let me write it." I said, "Okay." So I write all his scripts anyhow. He dictates the story, and I write it. I said that's fair. And I thought Jason was on board. He wasn't on board. And I found out Jason got upset. With the guy who tried to take the story from him and but anyhow just created a problem, but he did write a screenplay, okay, and the guy was kind of a scammer in a way. He takes the screenplay after I asked him to find out that him and Jason went on board just to leave. I'm not part of this it's not fair to Jason and I said, "Why don't you just leave and he takes off for California and he takes my movie our movie script takes my name off of it and puts his name on it and registers it with the writer's guild. Now, this becomes a problem later on. I didn't know this. The first guy who registers the movie script gets the rights to the movie. I had no idea that was the deal. Now, fast forward, I meet my final, I don't know, how could you say this? My final uh, opportunity to get the movie done after I'm eight years into the deal. Notre Dame says absolutely not we're not interested please uh don't talk about this movie again uh rudy we'd love you but we already have a movie called newt rock the all-american it says we don't want a movie shot here at notre dame said okay well that meeting only lasted maybe i wouldn't say no more than 30 seconds and uh they were serious then the athletic department also made a point to me never to talk about the movie to the athletes again, because that, that I would see if they were interested. Anybody would sit and listen to the story, I would tell. But they asked me, if you did, we will have to you know, suspend you from campus and, and bar you from the university. You keep doing this because uh, we, we feel you're a threat to our athletes and NCAA rule. And I wasn't, I was just telling them a story, but they didn't understand it. So I kind of left it at that. And finally, the opportunity came. I walked out of that meeting from the one that Notre Dame had, and uh, the PR people at Notre Dame. And he was nice. He walks in and he says, "We, you know, we love Rudy again, but Rudy, uh, we told you time and time again, we're not interested." The meeting's over, and he walks out. I said, "Oh wow, I think I played longer than he gave us an opportunity to at least." Pitched the movie well that was it so I walk out and who do I see but but the hotel manager I did not know the hotel manager was telling his brother about my journey to Hollywood and I didn't know who his brother was but his brother loved I mean I mean he loved the story he but he wanted me to tell him and I didn't know that so he asked how the meeting goes and you know it didn't go well John. It really didn't go well. Uh, they they basically said I'm done. He says, "Oh, don't give up on it. My brother's coming to town. He wants to talk to you." I said, "Oh, okay." I don't know who he was. So he comes to town. He says, hey, uh, go have pizza at Barnaby's. It's a local place." So I go there, and I meet Donny Stradigis, his brother. So Donny says to me, "Tell me your story." And I told him. He said, "Oh, man, that is a movie." I said. Well, how would you know? Uh, He says, have you ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Yeah, I love that movie. He says, because I would watch movies uh, in between my travels just to get ideas. And he says, uh, you need to speak to Angelo, the guy who wrote Hoosiers. So how do you know Angelo? So we put Hoosiers together. His fraternity brother of mine, he and David and Angelo and I were fraternity. David directed Hoosiers. Angelo wrote Hoosiers. And I did the basketball coordination. So I said, oh, wow, because you never know who knows someone. And that was my kind of like my, I called second chance again. And um, I go out to meet Angelo. And Angelo, uh, for some reason, uh, didn't want to meet me. And he didn't show up for the meeting. But I already flew out to California. I already spent my money to go out there. And I need to speak to this guy. And a friend that is with me, the relationships I built in California that I kept going out to visit uh, and pitch to people, he brought me to this restaurant where Angelo was going to meet me. And we sat there for three hours. And I was used to waiting anyhow because of insurance uh, people, not showing up when they're supposed to show up. But make a long story short, I said, I'm going to go find him. He said, are you nuts? I said, no. He said, this is L.A., man. How are you going to find this Pizzo guy when you don't even know where he lives? I'll find him. You just sit here. I'll be back. I was so positive. I cleansed my mind with all doubt. I walked out. I see a mailman whistling and smiling, and I thanked him. At that moment, I thanked him, like meeting a hotel manager. And he was just, I call him angels. And I said, hey, man, thanks for that smile. I needed that. He said, "Where, where, where are you from? No one's ever thanked me. I said I'm from Indiana. I said, Oh, I'm from Michigan, man. I said, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got gratitude, dude. He says, Yes, I do. I said, I could be passing this stuff out. The snow, rain, or sleet. He's going on and on. I said, Yeah, man. It's beautiful out here. He said, Why are you out here? Oh, you don't want to hear my story. It's too complicated. I said, Very complicated. I said, What's complicated about your story? I'm trying to make a movie. He goes, Oh yeah, I bet it is complicated. How long have you been trying? I said, many years. But I'm now I have a break. I was supposed to meet this writer who wrote Hoosiers, Angelo Pizzo, but he didn't show up. He said, Angelo Pizzo, well, what's your story? And I told him, he said, man, I love that story. And I know him. I pass his mail out every day. Follow me. I'll show you where he lives, but you can't tell anybody how you got there. I said, deal. So he walked by his house. He points. And I walked up to his door, and I knocked, and, and he said, who is this? I said, Rudy. I said, how'd you find me, man? I said, never mind. You're eight, late for lunch. And he said two very important phrases. Rudy, I'm not going to write another sports story. I don't want to be pigeonholed out here or labeled out here. Plus, I hate Notre Dame. I said, oh, wow. Uh, okay. I, then he said, but you have a good story. I said, well, will you go to lunch at least? I flew all the way out here, and I don't want at least to meet you. Yeah. See, yeah, I'll go to lunch, but don't talk about the movie. I said, deal. So I developed a relationship with him, and he liked me. And that's all it took. He kind of liked me, kind of sat on it for two years. And there was a gentleman at Columbia Pictures. He was a president of Columbia Pictures called Frank Price. And he's a graduate of Michigan State, and he was a walk-on. And he called this one producer in who he gave the two-pitcher deal to and he was at Orion Pictures. Uh, he was an executive there. And he gives him a two-picture deal: a sports movie he wanted, and a comic relief movie. So the comic relief movie he put together was So I Married Acts for her. And he brought Angelo and David and see if they had any ideas to do a sports movie. Because he worked with those guys at Orion Pictures that did Hoosiers. Now, uh, they were totally against the idea when they walked in to the meeting, and because we need a sports idea, we got $25 million to do it for P&A and production. And uh, David Ansbaugh says, Angela, yeah, there was a kid he met from Notre Dame that tracked him down, showed up at his house, trying to tell him a story about he wanted to play Notre Dame for his father, and he was a walk-on, he was in the Navy, blah, 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 He was an older kid. But he ended up playing, and uh, they carried him off the field. He graduated, and, and Frank Price leaned over the desk. He says, write it, Angelo. You're commissioned to write it. And Angelo didn't turn down that opportunity, even though he hated Notre Dame. But when Angelo and them called me and told me the, uh, the break that just came, I did not tell him about how Notre Dame felt about the idea of a movie, so I didn't tell him but they wrote the script, got it approved. They were ready to go to shoot and Frank Price gets fired. So the movie is dead, no more movie. I mean, we're all excited. We're all ready to kind of take the next step to go. I said, I needed courage to go talk to Notre Dame about it. But hey, that ended that deal when Frank Price got fired and the movie was dead. But Rob Freed, the producer, calls me, and said, look, we have an idea. We want to fly you out of here. We're going to go pitch this movie to our sister company called TriStar, and we're going to walk over there, and you're coming with us, and we're going to pitch this movie. What do you think? I said, I'm I'm there. He says, great. So anyhow, it was a better conversation than that. but That's a short uh, mm-hmm. side of it, and uh, make a long story short, walked over. They approved it, and they're ready to go. They liked the movie, and believe it or not, I never told them about Notre Dame, so I had to tell them. Even though they approved, I said, well, they said, we got to set meetings up with Notre Dame to set the production because they want to start shooting this thing. And I said, oh, wow, Notre Dame really doesn't want this movie. He says, well, we're not going to shoot unless Notre Dame gets on board. Well, you got 48 hours to get them on board, Rudy. So I go back to South Bend. I don't know what to do, but another angel shows up and uh, I call them angels, but a friend That I gave the script to love the script. He had a little bit of influence. And he said, no, that's a good story. So I had enough courage and belief. He just gave me that little belief that I needed. And I walked over to Notre Dame, got a meeting with the head priest that was in charge of the university to uh, have a meeting with David and Angela. And he took the meeting. And when they came to town that Monday, uh, in 20 minutes, we had the movie approved and ready to go, but the athletic department did not want this movie for some reason. They, they were not cooperative, but we didn't care. We still shot the movie around the football practice fields. The challenges we had was 60,000 people that we needed for a crowd to shoot the final scenes. But we also, David and Angelo and everyone had a script meeting, decided to bring the NFL films in to shoot football. And uh, that was the magic of that. And there was one other little thing. When I watched movies years ago, I saw a movie called Goonies. And uh, Sean Astin was Mikey. And I followed his career. And I saw him in the movie Memphis Belle. And that's how I got their attention to look at Sean to play the main part. And they did uh, regretfully look at him, but they liked him because they already casted Chris O'Donnell for the part, because his dad was one of the executives at Tristar. But hey, they won, they got Sean, and the next thing we start casting. And remember Jason Miller? Uh, I promised Jason, if he was a good guy, if we ever got this movie, maybe you would play Era Parcision. so I called him, got him on board. He played Era, uh, John Faber, and Vince Vaughn were at Second City. We went and casted them at Second City in Chicago. And they got on board. Lily Taylor got on board. Ned Beatty got on board. John Voight was supposed to play the priest, but his mother got real sick. So we had to pick up uh, Ro- um, Prosky, Robert Prosky. So the whole team started coming together. And uh, Notre Dame approved, gave us production facilities. And the whole movie was shot in 30 days. And then Jerry Goldsmith, um we couldn't afford him but he took the music rights and he scored that movie for no money and he did very well with rudy the music the soundtrack so that was his payday and he died two years after he scored the movie rudy so that was it that's kind of like the journey
4: man the layers and details of that story to make the movie and the persistence from rudy to make it all happen was really top tier We're going to take a quick break here, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, Rudy gets into the money side of the movie, how much he sold it for, and working on set for the movie and with the actors and so much more cool stuff about the movie. Rudy, remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review during this quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
4: And we're back here on Walkie Talkies Podcast. Make sure you are subscribed and downloaded. Follow us on social medias at WTZ Podcast for video highlights of every episode. And let's bring back in Rudy Rudiger. Yeah. So before we get into some of the the relationships you had with the right. actors and the casting, well, let me rewind slightly to you said that for five hundred dollars was the initial, initial offer, and you were, you know, right. you packed your bags and you said no. So when this does come together and you get this um, secondary production company on board, you get Notre Dame finally on board. What did, and if you did at all, what did you end up selling it for? Like, did you sell your story? Like how did that part yeah, of it work?
5: And you know, what happens is now they give you an offer for your rights. They actually gave me, I didn't know what was good, what was bad. I needed a lawyer. So I thought because of a friend I knew who had relationships with some entertainment lawyers, I got to call them, and they, in fact, we got lucky on that. I called him, and uh, when he first answered the phone, he wasn't interested because he just thought, hey, you got a movie deal? Yeah, well, you send us a $10,000 retainer, and we'll see what you have. I said, I don't have $10,000, sir, he says, uh, but the movies at uh, TriStar Pictures, he says, uh, I said, will you do me a favor? Just call them and see, and and I'll give you a percentage of whatever you need. He said, yeah, that's fair. He called, well, he was also a lawyer at Columbia Pictures at one time. He was an inside lawyer, so he knew who to call. He called me back within 10 minutes, says, we got a deal. He says, he said, what do you want for, the, for your rights? I said, you figure that, I have no idea, I don't care. And he made a nice deal, and he gave me a consulting credit as well, money, and uh, I had enough money to pay off all the guys who helped me get the movie in the journey. I just started calling because I knew I had to do that because I kind of like if I ever get this movie made, but they couldn't be part of the production, so right. I had to make deals with them and pay them. Right.
4: Off. So and let me put you so on the, sp- let the let point. me put you on the spot. Are you willing? Okay. To, are you willing to ballpark the number that your lawyer negotiates? It was two hundred thousand yeah. okay, and yeah. and in mm-hmm. all of this aftermath of the movie, do you have any like royalties off of it? Like, is there any money no, that you, you still don't, collect? You from
5: it? Well, you, you, you get what you call net proceeds. Well, go figure that out.
4: Net proceeds. <laughs> they have
5: creative accounting.
4: Okay, break that down for us.
5: It means uh, they record a lot of losses in the movie that. Maybe aren't really there. I don't know, but you're in a slush fund with other movies: Cliffhanger, in San Lucas Talk, Last Action Hero. They all raise this money. And a lot of those movies lost money, so that went against your money. Uh, like, like we're all part of that. They they get money to make movies, and Cliffhanger lost a lot of money. Uh, it didn't. And it cost him a hundred and over a hundred million. That means you gotta you gotta make three hundred million to break even, and they didn't make so they lost. But but so Rudy
4: Rudy the movie grossed about I think I I saw when it came out 22 it was two million. Yeah, it was twenty two million total. But when it right. came out, it was like sixty nine ranked in the box office. It didn't jump right when it came out, but it was no.
5: They only put it in eight hundred theaters.
4: Right, but so You're hold really, on, so twenty two million, yeah. and you only see two hundred k. Is that is that it? It's yeah. your story. That's crazy.
5: Well, that's what... I didn't go out there to make money.
4: You just went out that there for the storytelling. That was it.
5: I was good. I just wanted to start. But look what it did for... It gave me a platform.
4: It did. Now, so I, so your motive was not money. Your motive was no, like... No, it
5: was not money because I, I loved this. I thought the story... If it was for money, it would have never gotten made.
4: Right. Right, because you would have had the wrong intentions.
5: Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: So, okay. No royalties. You get these net proceeds. Now... Money doesn't matter. It sets you up for what you started doing with motivational speaking. But before I hit on that, I want you to kind of talk about your role while they filmed the movie. How often were you on set? How much say do you have? Yeah,
5: I was kind of neat. It was kind of neat because I was with the uh, uh, first of all, I'm involved with every aspect of the movie. Uh, Let's say let's go to wardrobe. Uh, They wanted to make sure we had the right clothing and the, the priest wore the right clothes. In the, the, in the football gear, we had to make sure we had the right unis. So I was involved in all that. Then then the prop guy, we were involved with him, making sure we had the right stuff, and, and uh, the art director, making sure we built the right set. I was involved with all of it. I was so busy at times. I, I wasn't even around when they shot certain scenes because we we're, were out doing the little things to make the next scene happen. So, but I was involved in the whole thing, and, uh, and I like that. You worked 16 hours a day sometimes, uh, maybe 18. We shot scenes at midnight, you know, and uh, the lighting and that had to be. Sometimes you sat around all day for the right lighting. So it was interesting uh, how it worked. Then we had to go to Chicago and just film the little kid playing in the field Maybe 5% of the movie was shot in Chicago, while the rest of the movie was shot in South Bend. So we had to go scouting. I was on the scouting team, too, looking for certain spots with the guys who scouted uh, so you, movie sets.
4: You were kind of a, a producer slash director, and you had a lot of you know free space to... Uh, I would say incorporate. I didn't want
5: any. That's the other. I didn't want any titles either. I'm, no titles.
4: But you you but, had your own creative space to kind of like. Yes. You know operate. That's
5: because I left them alone, mm-hmm. and I didn't push any idea on them. Right. Because I gave them the freedom, and they liked that. And when they needed me, they asked me, right. "Rudy, what do you think?" And that's the only time I interacted. That's because cool. to, to me, it was the interpretation of them, not me. Because I saw the story a little different than how they saw it. They saw the movie, how they would see it, the interpretation, how the movie would work. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, uh, when I first met the writer, he says, I will interpret your story that will make a movie. uh, So you may not recognize certain moments or yourself. I said, it's not about me anyhow. It's about the message. It's just good. We're on the same page.
4: It's about the message. Yeah. I love that. So Mm -hmm. How much interaction did you have with the actor who played you, Sean Aston? You said you kind of had been eyeing his career.
5: Yeah, a lot. We had a lot of interaction. Yeah, we just kind of like hung around and made sure he got trained right physically, mm-hmm. made sure he knew football moves. And, uh, it was kind of, and he met a young lady out of Indiana. They ended up getting married. So Sean was important. He was a good kid. His mother was Patty Duke, and he was very grounded. And... Uh, He had some issues uh, with his uh, youth as a young actor. His mother was, uh, Patty Duke had issues and he had to go through those challenges, but she became a beautiful person towards the end of her life. She changed, she met another guy. His stepdad is John Aston, and his real dad lives here in Vegas. So it was kind of one of those situations I didn't know about, but when he told me his story, I understood he understood the struggles of a large family and some of the conflict you go through. So he was the right guy.
4: Yeah, for sure. And did you know when you were, you know, putting this all together and you went on that eight year journey to just get this script sold, to get this thing written and filmed, did you know, or did you think that it could slash would end up being this big? What were your, what was your expectation?
5: You can't, there's no expectation. That's the other thing. Don't put expectations on this because it, just you know, just get it done, and and, and hopefully people will connect to it, and look, you know, can, you kind of let go and let God do the rest of the work. That's my my feeling. That uh, I had faith. I'm a man of faith, so I'm not I'm not going to, to be preachy or yeah. tell you scriptures. I just believed in, in in that feeling, and you know what? And when Mark Platt, the president of Tristar, says, you know, Rudy, well, he showed me all the movies he's ever been involved in said look we're not going to put a lot of money into your movie as far as promoting it but we're going to put you in 800 and some theaters but i promise you i'll make a commitment your movie will last longer than cliff anger look who's talking now last action hero uh i'm telling you it's gonna because we love the message but we get you know what our job is to get oscars for some of these guys like tom hanks and mm-hmm. all these guys so i get it i get it you know but uh you keep promoting the story and and we'll put it out there and see where it goes i believe that and that's what happened
4: and and you've been quoted numerous times saying that the film rudy is 92% true so i want to the
5: spirit want- of the truth the spirit of the truth And this is what Angelo says. What does that mean? What is the
4: spirit of, what do you mean by that?
5: Okay. Okay. I like that question because the journey is, is right on. Uh, But the embellishment in what we call, when you embellish a moment or put composites in a moment, that means you're putting different characters that we can't explain. We have to put them all in one character. Then we have to embellish that moment to make the movie work. He says, that's the spirit of the truth, Rudy. It did happen, but it's not going to happen the way it happened. It's going to happen differently through my interpretation. That's the spirit of the truth. I said, "Gotcha." I'm on board with that.
4: Me too. I'm on board now that I've heard it. So
5: yeah.
4: the yeah. the thing that the funny thing though is that like, of course, there's dramatization when making movies such as these, mm-hmm. and that's natural. That's fine. But mm-hmm. over the years, there's been a number of things that have been said that I want that I feel like kind of. Not negatively, maybe some, but have sort of tried to tear right. tried to tear down the legend of Rudy. Like I said, sure. not all negative, but I would well, like to go.
5: Have, uh, yeah, go ahead. I go would like to it. go
4: through them one by one with you, and then hear your side yeah. for each of them, if that's cool. So, absolutely. All right. So I have five. Number one, okay. and we can kind of run through these pretty quickly. Number one is you have the antagonistic role that Coach Devine played in the movie, but was actually said to yeah. be more supportive in real life. That's true
5: he was supportive and we went to coach divine Angelo and I and David, and we said, you have to be the heavy in this movie. Would you accept that? And we explained to him the heavy. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever helps the movie. Right. <laughs> then he gets his lawyer involved who said, well, you, you know, this is a real interesting moment with divine and precision divine and precision had a conflict because divine comes in, and Aaron didn't know he was leaving Notre Dame, and and uh, Divine comes and takes over the job, where Parsonian gets upset, Divine gets upset, with, they had conflicts. So he didn't want to look, uh, he wanted himself to look better than Parsonian. Parsonian wanted to look better than Divine. Yeah. So, yeah, so that moment, that's why we had explained to Divine, uh, here's your deal. And then when he felt he didn't look better. And here's how I answered him. I said, coach, I I think it's fair. I, I understand where you're coming from. But let's send a movie to the University of Missouri where you coach for all those years. And let's see what they say. And they agreed. The producers and everybody agreed. I don't make up. Someone said that. and I agreed. Yeah, that'd be good to do that. And they sent it to Missouri. And they said, wow, you made him look good. So he didn't have anything to say, did he?
4: No. All right, next, no. next one. There's there's Coach Devine getting on, on a radio station and saying that mm-hmm. if anyone would have put their jersey on his desk, they would have never yeah. seen it again.
5: It, it, he's absolutely right, it, okay. 100%. Mm-hmm. But the spirit of the truth. Remember spirit we talked about that? Yep. Okay. I, I figure
4: that's well, going to be a common, common answer. So was there a yeah. similar moment aside from yes.
5: that? Yes, 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 and yes. Remember, Divine makes the announcement that I'm going to dress, Mm -hmm. and the captains went in to talk to the defensive coach. Let Rudy dress, right? And this one kid gave up his jersey. Well, what what Angela wanted to do was show the support of the team, right? What this kid meant to the team. Mm -hmm. So that's the spirit of the truth.
4: Okay, cool. I love that. So then, the last couple, they're kind of. coupled together is there's a few sort of bashful statements from someone you mentioned before, Joe Montana, who was a freshman yes. at Notre Dame, your, your yes. senior season. And for the listeners who don't know, I'm just going to run through a couple of them so that they are familiar. He kind of downplayed the moment and he said three different things. One was that they kind of just picked you up and carried you off as a joke. The second one was he said the crowd wasn't chanting. And the third one was he said that no one threw in their jerseys. So why... Would he make comments like that? would he like, say that? Yeah, why would he do that? Why would he well, feel the well, need?
5: Let's address each point. Okay. Joe Montana was a prankster at Notre Dame. so You said he was a he, prankster? A prankster. He liked to pull jokes. So that's why he said it. Uh, everything was a joke to him, something like that, because he didn't understand the background of this kid, this walk-on. So it's kind of a joke to him that the kids would come out and carry him off the field. He wasn't even at that game, by the way. <laughs> where, was, uh, where was he? He was injured. Oh. True story. He was injured. And he didn't dress for that game, and uh, so I don't know where he'd come up with the crowd didn't chat. He wasn't even there, <laughs> 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 so, so I don't know where he could, he would probably said it because I think he got sick and tired of people coming up to him and ask him, "Did you play with Rudy?" Right. Remember, he won four Super Bowls. I'm sure he gets tired of hearing it. And Joe's a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He, he's a shy guy he says it like it is and mm-hmm. as a joke right. more as a joke than, than than what he meant i understood Joe because i know joe and, and and i don't mind his comment because it's true because the kids would never throw their jerseys on them uh, on the coach's desk that would never happen but what he didn't realize was the student body chanted Rudy not the uh, crowd mm-hmm. and the crowd picks up on the chant from the student body he wasn't at the game so he even if he heard it, he wouldn't understand it does that make sense it does and I, and and so uh but the director and the writer and all they understood the spirit of the truth
4: right because it was about the moment and even it if- was
5: about the moment of every kid who ever wanted to play for notre dame or any. Step up to the plate one time. Just any, just yeah. Get one swing.
4: Any dream um, you got to live it dream. out, and it was about.
5: So we are going to embellish that.
4: It was about, yeah. And I just think it's funny that you know. And he said it like you're saying. He's a jokester. He said it on yeah, on the jokester. Dan Patrick show but he was as a joke. Playing in a
5: football game, uh, and he says, "Hey, look, there's John Candy right in the middle of a real serious game." He wanted to. He was that type of kid. Yeah, he was that kid at Notre Dame the same way.
4: So did you ever have any? conversations with him with joe montana about any of that stuff
5: we laughed about it i said joe man these people could spin your answer to no anything. yeah i know i was like i swear he said you know you know he said you do you all right with that?" yeah i'm all right with that i said i'm all right with you don't worry about it and that's how we
4: answer it's super easy to take uh you know a two minute bite from him saying something like and take it
5: they will spin anything yeah. to get an audience.
4: Yeah, well, there's no context behind what he was saying. And, and of course, no. like all of it came out. Like if you were Google it, it comes up as Joe Montana, you know, had, he ruins the legend of Rudy. <laughs> it's like.
5: These little kids never look up Joe Montana. They don't even know who he no. is. No, <laughs> and
4: when Rudy comes up, that's not the first. That's about the, no. the 20th And only that
5: people that would say that are the jock sniffers, I call them, anyhow.
4: What do you and who are those guys?
5: Guys who lived through other athletes.
4: Okay, yeah, and I'm sure you've you dealt know, with your fair share of yeah, that. So
5: oh, I get a lot of those. They call me a poser. They call, yeah, you didn't do anything. You know, I was at here. I'm at Notre Dame. <clears throat> Charlie who was a coach at Notre Dame, right? And uh, his he was a he was a student while I was at Notre Dame, and he never played football, but he had a very talent and a skill where he was very smart. He had a perfect SAT, and he was very smart, and he would critique the games that Devine would coach. And he had a roommate that was on the football team at Notre Dame, and they kind of did a spoof on him by saying, Coach Devine wanted to see you, because he would critique the game to his buddies, right? Hey, Coach wants to see you. And he goes over, and Coach didn't want to see him. So he kind of got upset. But he had a skill of... Uh, Doing uh, how to read a defense and how to read an offense. And he ended up, after he graduated from Notre Dame, as a football coach in New Jersey, but he worked part time for the New York Giants. And Bill Parcell and Belichick was there. And he would brief these guys on offense and defense and write a script on offense why they should do it this way. And they liked that. So they hired him. Then he becomes the uh, three. Offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, he wins three Super Bowls. And he never played football, but he was he could dictate what game, what plays to actually show in this situation. And then he gets a job at Notre Dame, and he asked me to come in to speak to the team. He's the only coach that ever did this. And I did because he was a classmate of mine. And um, I'll never forget, he, he didn't really get along. Uh, he wasn't not a real personable guy with the alumni or, I mean, he was tough with that, but <clears throat> he was a, he understood a lot of different things. So I guess my answer to all this is um, there are certain people that understand Rudy. There's certain people who don't, and he understand the journey because he was a Rudy. You
4: know? Right. You gotta it, be, a, you does. gotta be a weird person to not be able to understand Rudy. <laughs> like, you know, it's,
5: well, it's life. I, I get girls who uh, don't even understand football, but they understand life. Who play sports—soccer, volleyball, baseball—they're in the sport. They get the message. It's not uh, a hard message they... to
4: get. It's—it's it's, you know. No,
5: it is. But I say to you, the the wannabes, the jock sniffers—I call them. <laughs> and they are the armchair quarterbacks, you know, because they criticize everything you do. They criticize Tom Brady. Right. Come on. Well, no,
4: speaking, of, speaking of criticism, that was the last part of some of the, yeah. the things I wanted you to debunk is, what do you say from the jock sniffers or to the jock sniffers who say, well, Rudy was off sides on the play that he sacked George, Georgia yeah, Tech's quarterback? Cool, yeah.
5: Guess what? They didn't call it, did they? <laughs> you know?
1: Right. So, if th- you so look you... at,
5: yeah, I said they didn't call it. So, how could I be offsides? And plus, if you watch the Rudy play on the YouTube, right, yeah. mm-hmm. you see I wasn't offsides. But but they would wear shirts, literally, when Notre Dame plays like different, they would wear a t shirt. Rudy was offsides. And that's a positive to me. Yeah. At least they know who Rudy is, right?
4: It's so funny that they will, like, people will try to find any which way to any. diminish. A they never like talk that. about like, the
5: message do they
4: no it's just like what's the negative in this let's talk about the damn negative how about this yeah like, yeah
5: yeah well that's they, and, they will if you're on top look they do it in business they do mm-hmm. it in everything so uh it, what it does it builds character
4: uh, and i sean sean astin said on the dan patrick show he was like you know people always ask me like what do, and he's like i came up with a good answer when people ask me like you know, what about Rudy being off sides? And he said exactly what you just said and was like, they didn't call it. So he wasn't. And well, it's like, I think Sean as simple as that. That. they didn't make the call. Like I
5: think Sean and I talked about that. And I think, yeah, that's, that's I'm sure he still, stole
4: those words yeah. from you.
5: Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> you know, Sean was a real cool kid. Cause we talked about all that. He would call me and we would have our anniversary. Story. We call. I'll show you, I don't have it. But if you look at, we did a, uh, Behind the scenes of Rudy, and we interviewed Joe Montana when he was at San Francisco. And they asked him before he won these Super Bowls, right? Were you there when Rudy played? Yeah, I was there. It was like winning the Super Bowl. It was like winning the national championship when he played. We got on tape. Then years later, he said it's a joke. What changed? How
4: greats? How greats that? I don't know. What maybe the attention was too
5: many people will come up to the guy. And bug him about were you? Did you play with Rudy? And of course, but, Eagles have a lot to do with that.
4: But how much? How much of the attention that you were getting, and it was uh, deflecting, I guess, attention that maybe a four-time Super Bowl champion should have been getting, even though he, well, uh, I wasn't it, alive during that, that time. Story. He got let enough.
5: Let me finish this story. I'm glad you brought that up. I was yeah. in the tunnel at Notre Dame when Charlie Weiss brought Joe Montana and Tim Brown, Chris George, and myself to speak to the crowd. Uh, our pep rally, and uh, there were 50,000 people in the stadium. First time they had it in the stadium, we'll play in USC. This is big. If we win, we win a national championship. But uh, he brought me in, and Joe and Tim Brown, and all of them were sitting in the tunnel waiting to go out. And this this is what's strange. I don't get it, but I get it. They hire these guys as ushers and as security, and they think they're Notre Dame. They're the jock sniffers, a lot of these guys, right? I, some of them, not all of them. And this one usher says, why is Rudy here? He didn't do anything. And I kind of let it go by. Then he said it a couple more times. And I turned to him. I said, you know, dude, let me ask you a question. How many Super Bowls did Montana win? He said four. He knew exactly the stats. So how many times he was most valuable? Three. How many times did Chris George win? He gave the Outland Trophy, this trophy, that trophy. How many times did Tim Brown go to the uh, All-Pro? Nine times. He knew all the stats. I said, how many tackles did I make? He said, one. I said, okay, that's fair. I said, the difference between my one tackle and all those Super Bowls and Pro Bowls, and they made my movie. They didn't make theirs, did they? Just shut them (laughs) up. (laughs) What can you say to to it? it.
4: That was actually uh, another thing I Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't want to. No,
5: it was just I was on tour one time with a friend of mine going through the stadium tour that they have at Notre Dame. And uh, this is kind of a sad moment. To me, it was because they're representing Notre Dame and representing all the kids who ever played at Notre Dame, any athlete. And they're representing, there's a jock sniffer in charge, right? And uh, we get to where the monogram room is. And where all the athletes play, and their names are up there on the wall, and I'm there with two of my friends, and and uh, well, forty forty of us in the uh, in the tour. They didn't know who I was. I don't tell people who I am. And one guy raises his hand and says, hey, is Rudy up on that wall." And the guy said, "Absolutely not. Why would he be up there?" Well, he did play, didn't he? Yeah. Well, he was a walk-on. Now this guy's put down every walk-on that ever. <laughs> ever existed and he's beaten up Rudy was no one he don't belong up there he's just beating me up right and I'm sitting there saying, holy cow this guy represents Notre Dame and he's telling all this garbage and he was one of those guys again because you know he believes in the spoof and, and the pranks that Joe Montana would say you know he, he believes in all. he doesn't know who Joe Montana is. he's going on and on so I finally my friend raises his hand he says, uh, are you sure Rudy's not up there? And I raise my hand. I said, yeah, I think he's up there. I saw his name. Follow me. So all the people follow me. And I point out my name. The guy said, that's not him. I said, then who is it? <laughs> he says, I don't know, but that's not. That's D. Rudiger. That's Rudy. And I says, you know, let me teach you a lesson, sir. And here's the lesson of the day and probably a lesson of your life. Never, ever, ever, I said, put down another athlete that worked his butt off to get up there. He could be a walk-on. He could be an All-American. It doesn't matter. He got up there because he paid the price. You just put down every kid who had a dream, whoever wanted to go to Notre Dame, want wanted to be part of this tradition. You just put them down. Shame on you. And you never know who's in the audience, dude. And the guy, my friend, says, yeah, you just now met the real Rudy. The guy, shut up, right? And uh, and, and all the crowd, man, they just come around me, shaking my hand, and some people real got emotional. And uh, he he leaves, no one followed him <laughs> for the rest Definitely. of the tour.
4: Fuck that guy!
5: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what happens.
4: If, if you want
5: to know the critics, if, there are people still out there yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that there. That don't understand Notre Dame. They're, they they live through these athletes. Yeah, they're just kids. Come on, dude. The kids who have dreams and goals. It's like when mm-hmm. they said to me uh, when I was going to school, Notre Dame's not for guys like you, Rudiger. He said for rich kids and great athletes. When I finally got to Notre Dame, I knew it wasn't for rich kids. Eighty percent of the parents are on second mortgages, third mortgages, so their kids mm-hmm. can go there. Is that crazy, right?
4: It's funny you bring that up because I was going to ask you about in 2012, the, the moment that Rudy was just referring to for all the listeners who are confused is uh, in 2012, Notre Dame football celebrated its 125th anniversary. And Joe Montana, Jerome Bettis, Tim Brown, and Rudy Rudiger were the ones that got to be a part of that small group that spoke to the Notre Dame football community. And that's, what, that's the moment you're referring to. So in that moment, I was going to ask you, what it was like to be a part of that group and how special that moment was for you. But then again, what you already just answered was how you respond to negative people like that mm-hmm. who are asking like, Oh, well, why is Rudy up there? Why is Rudy talking? Right. Like, you know, cause that, that obviously exists, but that moment had to be great for you because sure. You only had 20 seconds, 27 seconds of glory. But they made the movie about you. They didn't make the it movie about you. took 27
5: years to play 27 seconds. How many people right. giving up? I had to get there academically first. That was the challenge. Now, let me read you something. I'm at Notre Dame six months ago speaking, right? And I see a mother and a young boy in the restaurant right before I was going to speak. It didn't look like a very happy conversation. She looked stressed out.
4: Wait, Rudy, We I think we talked about this in part one, right? The kid yeah, and then we, he ended up getting back. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah
5: but well, I guess what I'm going back to and because we did do that story, I want yeah. to tie that in what we're doing here now with that.
4: Yeah, for sure. Go ahead.
5: You know, you tie it in because this kid grew up with Rudy the mm-hmm. movie. Now you're going to take this moment away from this mother and this child or this young boy. You gave him hope by telling him, Hey, I'm Rudy. I could help you. Here's what you need to do. Now that's, Better than that usher saying, What did Rudy do? I just helped the kid get back to Notre Dame because he believed that, you know, you got to go back and fight for what you believe in. You had some disappointments, but you got to go back and find out what you need to do in order to get back. That's a tie in. And that's what they connect Mm -hmm. to. They don't connect to the fact that I was a star because people really don't care whether you won a Super Bowl, national championship. Years later, anyhow, but the fact that you played for Notre Dame meant you had to pay a price, and that's that's the point I'm, I was making.
4: Right, and 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 you want the and rightfully deserve and have earned the respect for paying that price. Correct.
5: Well, I don't look for that, and I. Don't, but at,
4: at one at one point, you you know, when that usher disrespected you and yeah. the work you put in, your right. statement to him was like, you know, you just disrespected every athlete who ever every kid who had a dream. Every kid who had a dream. So yeah. to a certain extent, like the disrespect that came off, and him not even knowing that he was disrespecting you right to your right. face—he didn't even know you were there. Right. Um, that always stings. I don't think anybody likes to be, you know, disrespected. Oh, I, you know,
5: it's interesting. You become callous to that, but you love to put those people in their place. You know, when I when I speak, uh, I have a. I always there's. If I speak to corporate America, 90% of the people have seen the movie Rudy, at least 90, or maybe 10% that haven't. But there are guys out there who ask the question, were you carried off, you know? And it's because they still don't want to believe that you were carried off, but they saw the movie. Right. And that's why we did the documentary, Rudy, Rudy, the walk-on, to show the actual carry-off and show the actual kids, players who were involved with, with that moment that gave up their uniform. So I could play. So that's I. So I said I refer to the documentary. Go watch the documentary, and you and your questions will be answered. Whether I was carried off or not doesn't matter, sir. It's, the message, uh, right, it's of, the message of that moment is more important than whether I was carried off or not. And that's how well, I disarm that.
4: Yeah, no, that's that's the best way. I love the spirit of the truth thing. I think that'll mm-hmm. stick with a lot of people who have maybe wavered in their... Well, Rudy wasn't really true. I think that it, it just it solidifies yeah, right? what you're saying. It just yeah. it hones in on the importance of what was being shown and that is the the message and the idea that like you can achieve anything you put your mind to and, you know, the proof is in the pudding with with your story. All right, walkie talkies gang. Last quick break coming up here, but when we come back Rudy touches on his defining moment. He hits on the things that changed in his life over the last 30 years as more and more generations have seen the movie Rudy talks about his top five sports movies i ask him a little bit about lou holtz and brian kelly what a true walk-on is it's all coming up in the home stretch of part two so stick
1: with us we'll be right back if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals
0: Anyone can win. Relationships matter. And only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: And we're back on Walkie Talkie's podcast and the home stretch of part two with Rudy Rudiger. Make sure you are subscribed and downloaded. Follow us on social medias at WTZ Podcast for video highlights of every episode. And let's bring back in Rudy Rudiger. What what do you think changed in your life as the movie came out and then years passed, and more and more generations saw it and also fell in love with it? How has your life continued to change over these last 30-plus years since the original release of the the movie?
5: Boy, that's a great question, but it it, it got me to the point of of you only live for a short period of time, and you have uh, so many moments and so many opportunities you have to capture, work for them. Uh, Don't take life for granted. Don't take a risk with your life. Take a risk with your dream um all those little things made sense uh you're gonna fall in love fall out of love you're gonna get married you're gonna get divorced you're gonna have issues you're gonna make some bad choices but you're gonna make mistakes don't don't make yourself bad because you made a mistake just correct it and move forward i don't care what it is and just show a lot of a lot of compassion and love but don't get involved with goofy people that gives you goofy thoughts and that's what's changed I hang around dreamers and I hang around guys who are positive and that changed my life. Uh, I don't hang around any why guys hang around. Let's do it" type of guy, you know, makes a big difference.
4: So it's about who you, you know, there's always those cliches that run around who you surround yourself with. And it's like, I, you always see these, or I always see these quotes on social media that are like you, you know, the five people you surround yourself with the most are the people that you are going to end up being like, or doing similar things. Like if you hang out with five guys who love to do Coke and party, you're probably going to do a lot of Coke and party hard. So if you hang out with guys who read investment books and, you know, are working 16 hour days for Morgan Stanley, you're probably, you know, in that space. So I think it's cool that, you know, someone who's done what you have done has is able to just like, Bring it right back to that. Is like I just started surrounding myself with better people.
5: And you know, you, and you're gonna go through your moments of you don't know who the better people are sometimes too, because you because your self esteem is low. So uh, and people make you feel inferior, and you're gonna find out that's not the guy you want to be around anyhow. Makes you feel bad because right. they don't feel good about themselves. So you have to recognize that. Not that you get mad at them. You just quit asking them for advice, and you find right. out the guys who help you the most. Other guys who want you to succeed, they're not selfish. You got to become selfless. Uh, I just had a great conversation with Dallas Page. Uh, he wrestled professional wrestling and he becomes very selfless in his life. And he was very selfish at first, but he learned by helping people makes them feel better instead of helping himself.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Being a giver. Yeah. Um, which you've touched on multiple times during part one and part two of just your ability and, and your likeness to give and give back. And that's what you wanted to do with this movie. So what would you say like throughout all of this, uh, you know, you had the sack against Georgia Tech. you had the story about going and making this movie and fulfilling that dream. What of all of these things would you consider to be your defining moment that you look back on the most?
5: The spirituality of Notre Dame, they, they cleanse all the doubt from your mind. And uh, it wasn't about academics or football. It was about a space that you felt very good and powerful and that you could be anybody you want to be. And I, and I fought for that feeling. And cause if it was about academics. I would have failed.
3: If it was about right.
5: football I would have failed. It was about contributing to something you felt good about and mm-hmm. you didn't have to be the best to be that. Uh, you didn't have to be the best looking or the smartest, as long as you contributed and helped people. And I think that was a defining moment when I first stepped on campus and felt that feeling.
4: It's so funny too. Cause like for someone who, when you were at Notre Dame was not being helped by really anybody, you no. still had that mentality of like, how can I help?
5: Cause I was in the Navy and in the Navy, I learned a very important point of how you succeed collaboration. And if you show that energy you will attract the right people. I attracted my tutor the minute I walked into St. Joe Hall, where I live as a Holy Cross student, and he became my tutor. He's a federal judge today. Uh, wow. He's a very successful man, a very uh, good man, and he helped me academically, showed me how to study, showed me what to read. So if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here.
4: Do you ever think about where? and how your life would have been different had you never gotten the chance to go in that game or if you got to go in the game but never made the sack.
5: That's a great question. I don't look at that. I don't live in the past.
4: Yeah, I guess you don't need to think about it ever, but I I think up. it
5: God has a God has a plan. Go with right. it, bro.
4: <laughs> go with it, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um so, you know, we got a couple more that, you know, just some some people I talk to would like for me to ask that I'm also interested in, and then we can okay. wrap it up. But your story, to so many, is an inspiration, and your story is loved by just about everyone, minus Joe Montana. You know, <laughs> I'm kidding. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> but can you give your perspective and your wisdom that you've you know gained over the years on what it's been like to be a figure and a name that really resembles the word belief and the word dream and embodies like what it means to go after any dream you have like what's it meant to be like that sort of symbol around the world
5: don't be bullied man don't let people bully you uh stick to your beliefs um your character don't chase money don't chase the material things that all that will be taken care of if you're doing the right thing uh, it's good to have a nice car. It's nice to have a nice home. But don't, if you make a lot of money and you don't make it for the right reasons, you become very selfish. So the selflessness really pays off in life. And that's what I learned. Uh, just, you're not going to go out and say, hey, can I help you? You're always there through words and example. And you live your life. And you're going to make some mistakes now because you're going to get around people. That you believe in that don't have the right intentions because you have a big heart. So what I had to learn was uh, trust and verify, but you had to learn that the hard way. And I've learned that the hard way, trust me. But I also learned to forgive those people who did that to me, and I say I don't hold any anything against people. Uh, I just there's a lesson learned, and I'm not gonna get into that. But you do through whether it's a marriage or whether it's a, business opportunity or you still love the people and forgive them.
4: Yeah, that's awesome. That that's mm-hmm. that's great. It that, that really resonates. Um so a couple let's keep it lighthearted, a couple fun quick hitters and we we'll, and then we'll get out of here. Okay. How did you how did you feel about Brian Kelly leaving to go to LSU? Did you have any feeling about that?
5: Good for Brian Kelly. Uh he deserves it. Um and he should have that opportunity. Um, he did his job at Notre Dame. He became the most worn-in coach at Notre Dame, so he he deserved that next level. Why shouldn't he? He had a yeah. hundred million reasons to do it.
4: <laughs> let's um, <laughs> let's make the Notre Dame fans feel good, though. Did you ever see those videos of him when he got to LSU and all of a sudden he had a country accent? <laughs> well- <laughs> he
5: was just trying to fit in. I get it. I get it.
4: But what the hell is that? Come on. Like, you well, you heard the right. guy he, interview a like, thousand times. And, yeah. You know, well, he,
5: <laughs> he was just maybe trying to have fun. You don't know that moment. But they spun that moment. He was yeah. probably having fun. Like, I have fun with the audience when I talk to my audience. I may right. have uh, something that they would laugh about. or you know, I, I think it was a spin. They, they showed so much. They didn't show the ending or the beginning. And, and all I'm saying, they, 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 they love that little clip, that little moment that they took and they spun it in the wrong direction. That's my, my
4: take. That, that, you, you probably eight, 98% are correct. I was just trying to give the Notre Dame fans something to feel good about since he left. Well, Notre
5: Dame fans, if they're living through Brian Kelly, shame on them. You know, <laughs> uh, come on guys, <laughs> get real. Give every, you know you know this uh, Marcus Freeman deserves a shot at the deal too.
4: <laughs> Absolutely, he's going to do a great job. He's going to do a he's great job.
5: Do a great job. You know what I loved about him? I met him at Notre Dame, and he's so grounded. He just respects you right away, and that's the key. Because mm-hmm. uh, he played professional football, he knows what right. it takes to be somebody. Whether you're a right. walk on or whether you're a starter, he understands hard work and work ethic. And right. like I we. You and I talked about Kobe Bryant, too, in that moment. He mm-hmm. understood that work ethic, how it would get you there and the sacrifice to do the work, you know? And uh, I love athletes. Like, some people don't have to work hard to be great. But right. even, you know, when you have that work ethic and you can help your teammates through work ethic, hey, you're a man of character.
4: Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you, mm-hmm. Something something that... um. A couple people wanted me to ask also was if you had any great Lou Holtz stories that you could think of.
5: I respect Lou Holtz. His son, he has a great family, great kids. You always judge a man by his family, by his kids, how they were raised. And uh, Lou Holtz was just one of those guys who wasn't supposed to be a coach or wasn't supposed to be this, wasn't supposed to be that. But he's a great entertainer. He's a great speaker, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, he's been through a lot. And I wish him the best because he is one of the guys at Notre Dame at that time who did give us not. He wasn't part of the Applegate decision, but he did honor the fact that we shot that movie. So I respect mm-hmm. him for that. I even gave That's... him the original script of the of Rudy. I don't know if right. he read it, but years later I saw him at a speech. He says, "Hey, I finally read that script." <laughs>
4: <laughs> um so, there you so go. there's a there's a couple things with and there's only a couple more questions and we'll wrap this yeah, up but there there's a, a couple things that i kind of always equate with the walk-on journey and mm-hmm. um the biggest one is is that you know we essentially embody the underdog role now even if you're not the guy that comes out on top and you get a scholarship or you make right. it to the professional league like like baker mayfield started as a walk-on right now he's just start he was a number one overall draft pick like you don't have to be that guy to be considered an underdog. Like, but however, I always I, I equate you know, walkie-talkies, the walk-ons, as underdogs. And I also like to look at the pillars of walk-ons. Mm-hmm. Well, before I get into that, what do you think about that? Like, do you think the walk-on thing is the underdog? Like, do you think, what do you feel about that?
5: Well, what's a true walk-on? Uh, Baker Mayfield had skill and talent. He, he, you know, he left a couple of schools to get to where he wanted to go. So he, he wasn't given a scholarship because he left the school to get a better shot at what he needed. And that took a little character, too, and a chance uh, mm-hmm. to do so. He was kind of going through a walk-on deal differently, but he had some skill and talent to do mm-hmm. that. Where a true walk-on had no skill, no talent, and, but he was a contributor. Baker Mayfield wanted to be a contributor, but he also wanted to be the guy. So, yeah, but he had that ability to do
4: that. Let me challenge you on this, though, because you're saying that a true walk on doesn't have skill or ability or maybe just not as much as Baker Mayfield did. But like, you know, there's plenty of walk ons out there that get put in positions where they are skilled, they are talented, but it's the wrong environment. There's no opportunity or there's minimal opportunity. It's the wrong environment. So it's like that person in my mind is not a true walk on. How do you feel about
5: that? Well, he still has to go through that mindset. That struggle. Uh you think uh let me ask you think Tom Brady's not a Rudy or a walk on? He bet you bet he is. He wasn't yeah, yeah, that's a good one. You know, he wasn't Mm -hmm. getting that starting job, but and he's not the fastest, right?
4: Right. Or the
5: quickest, but he had a skill he had to develop and a talent Mm -hmm. he had to develop. So that's a walk on skill he had to develop. All walk ons develop some type of skill. Whether it's in football, whether it's in business, they can learn from football. They can lo- learn from being part of a team, from the camaraderie, from being part of something. They take that on to their next step in life. So a Absolutely. walk-on can be a walk-on in business. can be a walk say I want to start my own business, but I don't know anything about That's a walk-on. That's a
4: walk-on. Yep, I agree. Yeah, that's a walk-on.
5: He, he lives in naive faith. I'm going to do this. He doesn't do a market study. He just goes for it. That's a walk-on. Right. You
4: know, yeah, I love that. and he learns through
5: uh, punishment mistakes and ridicule, but yep. he wants it so bad he's going to make it.
4: Now, I always equate these certain pillars with guys and, and girls who walk on and it's, you got to be selfless. You got to sacrifice. You mm-hmm. have to be patient and you have to, you know, it has to be the we before me. Was Is there anything else pillar wise that you would add to those? Your faith.
5: Your faith has to play a big part of it. You got to believe in yourself. That's the number one pillar: the belief in yourself. If you don't have that, you're not going to make it.
4: Give me your pillars.
5: Okay. First, my first pillar is character. You got to have the character. If you don't have character, you don't. You're not going to have the courage to move forward. What character is? You're doing things that no one else wants to do, and you're doing things that other people aren't doing, but you're not. Telling people, look what I'm doing. You're just doing it. Like for an example, uh, you're going out doing more sit-ups or more push-ups, or going to run, or you're going to study more. Or why other guys don't have to study as much as you. You got to develop some character, have courage to do that, and a commitment to do that. Those mm-hmm. that those three pillars. Then the contribution pillar is very important. You got to be willing to contribute to your teammate. Now the big one to me is called common sense. Those are the five pillars. You know, if you don't have common sense and you don't have a sense of humor, I mean, (laughs) you got to have that. If you don't, nothing's going to work.
4: Well, the reason that I bring up selflessness is because if you want to be a walk on, you you got to literally put everyone before yourself and have no agenda, no ego. The reason I bring up um, sacrifice is, you know, the same same regard as as selflessness is kind of right understanding that you're going to put all this work in, you're going, to make, you're going to do the same thing the scholarship guys do, and you're not going to get anything near in return that those hands. guys get.
5: Right. You're not going to get the, the – here's a good example. Uh, you go in a, a walk in in football, you're not going to get the same locker as a starter. Or right. uh, you're going to be put in a baseball locker room. So your goals become different than mm-hmm. a scholarship player. Your goal now is to get in that football locker room. You're not gonna go ask a scholarship player what you goal Want to get he's already in the locker room. You know? right. He's already so getting get the gold so f- pants.
4: For um, those guys that, that don't get the gold pants like yourself until that second year and the guys that get put in the different locker rooms, mm-hmm. like but you're saying they gotta change their goals. If their goal remains the same, you know, I wanna play in the NFL, I want to play in the NBA. Yeah, what that's do you say? Fine. What do you say to them? Like well, how do you navigate it.
5: it? Never, never lose focus on what you want. But you gotta be willing to change the process. The process changes. So what are you doing to change that process and make it make it better? So you can get better, right. uh, get better each day. Get some, do something better each day. Here, you know, like today, I was uh, I went early uh, to work out, and uh, I said I'm gonna do my I'm gonna I'm gonna do better than I did yesterday. So I swam two more laps than I did yesterday. To me, that's a great moment for me. And tomorrow, yeah. I need better than someone to do maybe extra. I'm just saying that's how you do it. You don't do it all at once. You do mm-hmm. it in little bites, and all of a sudden, you're doing it all at once.
4: Right, right. Okay, last, last little funny one for you. Okay. If, if Rudy is the answer, that's great. But I want a second answer on top of that. What is your opinion the best sports movie ever? Rocky. It's Rocky. Okay. Rocky. Which, which one? Do you have a Rocky, Rocky one? one? There Rocky are one? so
5: many lessons in Rocky one. You watch it. It's kind of like, that's why I connected to it. That's my life.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: What he's go. he's given a second chance. You know, he's just a nobody, but he's got this, but now he gets this and he starts working hard, working hard, working hard. No one believes in him. He finds a girlfriend. He finds little things like a turtle and a dog and, uh, you know, and the boy is, but it's so awesome.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Rocky is incredible.
4: It's a great answer. How many, uh, if you had to unbiasedly answer this, where do you rank Rudy on the list of best sports movies? Is it top 10? Is it top five? Is it top three?
5: Well, Rudy's already in the top three, so I'm happy with that.
4: All right, so if you got Rocky one and Rudy two or three, what's your third one?
5: Remember the Titans.
4: Oh, it's a great uh, list.
5: Yeah, it's a great list. Hoosiers, um, Field of Dreams, I loved.
4: Um, all right, that's your top five then, because now yeah. we're now we're. Yeah, I mean, you get. I won't make yeah. you put them in order, but yeah, those are all fantastic movies man rudy rudiger uh to one of the most legendary walk-ons of all time and most certainly the most beloved walk-on of all time i just want to thank you for being a part of the walkie talkies gang and walkie talkies podcast and sharing your story and just i mean that you've shared a million times but just giving me the opportunity to interview you and talk about this and hear your perspective and stuff on walk-ons back then and now and you know your journey with getting this movie made and and just the whole thing I, i couldn't be more grateful for you coming on this show and uh you know, giving me this moment and, and the show this moment. So thank you so much. I appreciate it.
5: No, you're a big winner. You're a true champion. You're going to do well. So good luck to you and God bless you, my brother.
4: That's a wrap for part two with Rudy. What an honor, man. What a great guy. Just what an honor to have Rudy Rudiger part of the walkie talkies gang. As I released this part two with Rudy on September 8th, that's five days shy of when I released the very first walkie talkies podcast episode last year in 2021 and to see the growth and direction of the show in just just a year. And now being with iHeart and the College Athletes Network and talking with the ultimate walk-on, <laughs> like Rudy Rudiger, and even all the other guests that have you know been kind enough to come on the show. Um, just a special moment for WTZ as we near that one-year mark. Uh, I just wanna say thank you to everyone that's been listening and supporting and subscribing Please keep sharing and passing along these amazing walk-on messages for more and more to hear because there's so much good stuff for people to take away from it. So I appreciate that. There'll be no podcast next week, but we'll tie in episode 20 nicely the following week with another great guest that I'm not going to tell you who it is. And I will see you all then.
1: Remember, come on some cute.
4: Walkie Talkies is a production of iHeartRadio and the College Athletes Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars for is